that guy who was like Morse coding the fact he was being tortured or whatever. Like he didn't ever get rescued. He didn't get rescued. I think he was hostage until the end of the war. Like it was a Vietnam War thing, I think to remember. But basically, it didn't it didn't help him. He went through all this effort of like blinking out that he was he was giving a forced confession or whatever it was. And uh, and yeah, he didn't ever <laughs> he didn't get rescued. It was completely pointless. For more Vietnam history, you can hit up Matt on Twitter. Uh, you're very welcome to the show. <laughs> you're listening to Beneath the Skin, the show. About the history of everything told through the history of tattooing. I am Thomas O'Mahony. I am one of your hosts. And joining me is my co-host, Dr. Matt Lauder. Matt, say hello. Hello, how are you? I'm very, very good. Matt, what are we talking about today? So I guess today, right, we want to try and just, again, because this is early in our series, give a kind of overview on some of the kind of early modern histories of, of tattooing, right? In terms of you know from from a from a European perspective, I think like lots of people might have this idea, and you'll find it in lots of books even to the present day that like tattooing was discovered in the Pacific, um, although there was no tattooing at all in Europe uh, or you know, known about before that the late 18th century. Those voyages to Pacific, and I think what we should do today is talk about why that's bullshit. <laughs> Talk about some of the tattoo cultures that Europeans had encountered and documented in the centuries before that moment. And uh, in future episodes, we should get into some of them, the, the particular local practices and their histories in more detail with specific experts. But I'm sort of interested in this stuff almost from a historiographical point of view, right? Like, what is it that uh, European writers knew about tattooing? And why did that story change such that in the 21st century, People imagine, at least many people seem to imagine, that tattooing is this completely new thing in that age of sale at the end of the 18th century. Have you ever heard that uh, tattooing is now more acceptable than ever? I have heard that, although this is a complete handbrake turn from what we were just about to talk about. But we did see a survey on YouGov uh, that came out last week, basically said that like young people, the, the cursed Gen Z, were, were were less tolerant of tattooing than millennials are. So if 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 it was ever true that tattooing was more acceptable than ever, it's getting less so by the day as young people, you know, get into Dave Rubin on t- YouTube or whatever. I think it's more so because there's too many people in their mid thirties who have a uh, mustache tattoos that they got in their in like two thousand and nine, and now they're uh, they're marketing lead managers at a, a very evil corporation. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's gonna do it. And if anyone is a is a lead marketing manager at an evil corporation and they enjoy the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Some of my best friends are marketing managers in evil corporations. Hashtag not all mustache tattoos. A terrible, terrible dark time for culture. But as we've covered so far, tattooing, like you said, wasn't a phenomenon that was unfamiliar in the Western world, particularly in Europe that we're talking about. But we're gonna focus on accounts of First real encounters with tattooed people in what would be called the New World during the Age of Exploration. We're talking about the establishment of the Silk Road trading routes, the Spanish exploration of Latin America and Central America. We have the journeys to the North Passage and the interactions with the Arctic people. We have Native American cultures as the Spaniards and subsequent people went further north in the American continent and we also then subsequently near the end have this 
Pacific encounters. So in a previous episode, we spoke about Marco Polo's description of tattooing in Asia in the 13th century, which we'll talk about again briefly in a second. But Matt, as an academic, your initial encounters with fact and fiction around a lot of these encounters. Well, I, you know, I really, when I started out on my tattoo history journey, I also had this idea, actually, that tattooing uh, was was something of newly known to Europeans. Like, there are many credible books written by very good historians of the Pacific Encounter, for example, who who describe, based on a kind of interesting misreading, I think, of we might come to, of, of Captain Cook's diaries and some of the other things that were happening around those voyages, that there was that there was no tattooing um, known about before the 18th century, and then particularly, you know, that that, that moment was very influential on kickstarting what happened afterwards. The, the the fact that there was lots of tattooing on British, American, French sailors in the uh, early 19th century and onwards, right? So that's been the story for a very long time. Where it was slightly complicated was people would say, "Oh well, we know about you know pilgrimage tattooing from about." A hundred or so years before those Cook voyages, actually, maybe maybe the Europeans just forgot about tattooing. But actually, I'm really grateful to my friend, uh, who I think I've mentioned on the podcast before, Anna Friedman, uh, who's no longer an academic, but who did her PhD. Shadow Anna Friedman, come on the pod. Yeah, well, she's 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 no longer an academic anymore. Um, she's working in a kind of pretty normal job, but she wrote an amazing dissertation back in 2012. On what she's called, what she calls transculturites, so Europeans getting tattooed in non-European tattoo traditions over the course of the 16th, 17th, and 18th centuries. And really, it was from her that I kind of developed this, or, or you know, I got, I learned this idea of the Cook myth, the idea that actually Captain Cook discovered tattooing, and there was no tattooing beforehand. Because, and I'm really indebted to her. And since then, there's been you know a lot of really interesting new work, and I think what. I'm trying to do, I guess, at the moment is trying to put not only those stories into a kind of bigger context of tattoo history, but also to try and understand like why that happened, right? Like why is it that the particular stories that were told about the tattooing we're going to talk about today in the Americas in particular were forgotten in 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 inverted commas? Why did they kind of fade or, or were they erased from European cultural memory? And I think that the story of the kind of forgetting is 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 as interesting in some respects as the story of the encounter. And I think to add on to that, I think a very easy way to explain the, the evolution of the Captain Cook myth is that history loves a nice, simple, packageable story that is easily repeatable and easily understood. And the Captain Cook story is, you can explain it to anyone, they will easily understand it, and it misses the nuance and complexity of it all. But I suppose we should probably start where we touched on in a previous episode with Marco Polo's exploration in Asia. And is that arguably kind of the first written down history of encounters with tattooed people outside of Europe? Yeah, I mean, more or less, right? So the the pre-medieval history of, of anything is very difficult to tell properly. And and, and particularly so, so tattooing and the histories of tattooing is really caught up in that quote unquote dark ages period the, you know, we we just don't know enough about what's happening bef- you know, before the 14th century i suppose there are some you know there are some some descriptions in some sort of 11th and 12th century british antiquarian writing talking about 
maybe the fact that even the the French were tattooed or whatever. But in the context of what we're talking about today and encounter and and, and what leads into the stories that follow, yeah, we have to sort of start with Marco Polo um, and his voyages at the end of the 13th century to China via basically via places like Vietnam, because it's in those accounts that not only does he talk about these kind of body marking habits that he encounters, including, you know, talking about almost a kind of like tattoo trends in China and particular kind of mythologies in Vietnam. Not only does he talk about those, it's when a century and a half or so later, Christopher Columbus travels to the Americas. One of the reasons that he imagines he's encountered the Indies um, is because of the tattooed people that he sees in, in the Americas. And, and because he knew about tattooed people in the East, that helped him to kind of imagine at least briefly that he'd sort of circumnavigated the world. A lot of these first encounters uh, that we're going to talk about today in the Americas, the, the, the peoples are described as like, like the Tartars, right? These people from the, from, the, from the Far East, because they had dark skin, they had black hair, and they had tattoos on their bodies. And it was like the, the, the tattoos almost helped Columbus make sense of what he was encountering um, in terms of the populations that he, he met off the eastern seaboard of the United States in the islands that are now for example, Puerto Rico. So going on from there, we really, the next expansion of the age of exploration is the Spanish conquest of Central and South America, the conquistadors. And particularly there is a lot of historical evidence, disputed historical evidence around the body modification cultures in Central and South America at the time. So what do we know about that? Yeah, well, so the first the first kind of descriptions of something that could be tattooing, although may also be body painting, and they come in a it comes in a um, it comes in a description that also includes stuff about about piercing and lots of kind of quite greedy stuff about gold and gold rings is basically from 1492 from that first sailing quote unquote of the ocean blue, you know, um, on San Salvador. So this guy. Some people on his voyage basically describe some people on San Salvador and talk about their bodies painted black and their bodies painted white and their bodies painted red. The first kind of um, like unambiguous account of tattooing uh, in the Americas is a year later on Columbus's second voyage. A guy on his mission, a guy called um, Diego Alvarez Chanca, my Spanish is terrible, a chancer basically said that he'd seen men and women who, quote, paint their heads with crosses and a hundred different devices, each according to his fancy, which they do with sharpened reeds. So there, you know, very quickly, 1493, basically 300 years before those Cook voyages, uh, we've got an account of tattooing in the Americas. And the other interesting thing, of course, as part of that, is that one of the things that the Spanish do is they capture native people. And they bring them back to Europe. And that means that as early as 1493, potentially, um, there are uh, tattooed non-European people, tattooed Americans in Europe. So some tattooed people from, uh, from the Taino race were, were brought to Europe in 1493, right? These people described by a guy called Michele de Caneo, a really nasty bastard who raped local women and you know was just an overall despicable scumbag 
For the record, fuck the Spaniards. <laughs> well, fuck all of these people, really. And like, yeah, like so. So we've got tattooed Native Americans in Europe as early as as the 1490s, and then from that point on, really, sort of pretty much continuously throughout the following decade, we've got Spanish accounts of tattooed people cross that eastern seaboard of the American mainland, uh, who are so many of whom, some of whom, are captured and brought back to Europe. Yeah, for quite a long time. So, fifteen oh one men who have their face marked with great signs marked in the face with several places were sighted in Delaware between Delaware and Nova Scotia. So many of them were also brought back to Lisbon. Um, in fifteen oh nine, there were like quote unquote savage men brought back to France who had stigmata on their face from their ears to the middle of their chins. Um, and you know, not much is known about these the individual lives of these people because they were almost treated more as curiosities uh, at this point than human beings you know they're just these kind of strange savages from the new world so to speak but i guess what's also interesting from my point of view is that despite that despite that kind of inhumanity that the spanish showed towards the people of the new world despite describing them you know as idiotic for trading gold for things that the Europeans considered worthless, despite calling them savages. There's a weird kind of, the tattoos play a weird role in the kind of language in which these people are spoken about. So a guy called John White, who was a kind of artist, drew a lot of images of tattooed Native Americans, and many of them were published. And often when they were published, they were published alongside descriptions that said things like, well, you think... These people are strange from the new world. Actually, you know, your ancestors were just as weird, just as strange. And there was certainly an understanding because the Romans had written about tattooed ancient Britons and tattooed peoples across, uh, you know, across the kind of barbarian, quote unquote, barbarian tribes of the of Central Europe. Because there was a sense that like tattooing was known about by the learned antiquarians of the early 16th century, that Actually, the fact that these people were tattooed sort of proved that they were somehow in the same lineage as Europeans, like behind. We didn't have the word evolutionary, really, but it, it, the sense is there that somehow there's a cultural evolution and these people are quite, you know, are behind Europeans in some senses. But part of the way that's evidenced is that European writers at that time understood that their ancestors, their, their deep, you know, deep ancestors had been tattooed and sort of gotten out of it, culturally speaking. Uh, yeah, and I think as well, it points out that they were coming at it from a mindset of the sort of commonality of humanity, as you said. And I think it's important to point out as well that a lot of this was being done before we had modern conceptions of, so to speak, race science or like the differences between peoples from different regions of the world. They might have used it as a justification for conquest that these people are behind. We need to civilize them, bringing, bring them up to speed with human evolution, pretty much. But it was undoubtedly racist, but it was different than what we would see further down the line. That's right. And I think, as we'll probably come to, that's what I think changes in the, in the 18th and 19th centuries. Like the, it's, the, it's the conception of racism and the role tattooing plays in the discourse of racism that changes that story. I mean, we'll get. Um, I, I, there are many uh, increasingly good scholars working on specific histories of tattooing in the Americas, both 
in the Arctic and in North America uh, more broadly, and in South America and Latin America as well, actually. Um, so I don't want to talk about the specific cultural context of those practices, really, because it's not my place to do so. As I said, what I'm interested in is what the Europeans thought about them and 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 sort of what they got wrong. But that you know that 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 is already, I think, interesting. Hopefully, for people that if if you thought there was tattooing was discovered in the Pacific, we have to account for the fact that nearly 300 years earlier there were tattooed people in Europe, and you know the, there were tattooed people being brought to England uh, as early as the 15. 15- 70s. So, like the other thing to to point out, of course, is that we don't have the word tattooing at this point. There's no kind of unified word for for what's going on here. It gets called pricking or staining or um, marking, which can sometimes make it difficult to disambiguate between permanent and non permanent things in in colonial records. But what's surprising in this period is that tattooing is seen as strange. You know, insofar as it's sort of alien to European culture to some senses, but it's not seen as demarcating people in the New World from from white Westerners. This is a perfect point to discuss what Anna Friedman would call a transculturalite. Uh, the first evidence of a transculturalite from this period is a guy called Gonzalo Guerrero in 1511, sailing with 15 others, uh, including Geronimo de Aguilar. From Panama heading towards Santo Domingo, he was shipwrecked and upon reaching the shore, he was taken captive by the local Maya uh, population. He was kept as a slave and by he was eventually freed then due to... Now, there is quite a lot of scholarly debate that goes on about this story. We were discussing this before we started recording that historians kind of go back and forth on the exact details of this story, but essentially... In a nutshell, he was freed due to, you know, an act of bravery from saving his master from an animal attack and eventually gained esteem within Maya society. He got traditional tattoo markings, piercings. He was he had the first mestizo children uh, in Mexico. Uh, Mestizo means children that are of mixed Spanish and indigenous descent. Eventually, people arrived to try and save him quote-unquote, save him, to bring him back home. He was met by people coming to save him and pretty much said, well, I can't go back. This is my home now. And there is a transcription of what allegedly occurred in this uh, conversation between, according to the account of Bernal Diaz, uh, when the newly freed friar attempted to convince Guerrero to join him, Guerrero responded, Brother Aguilar, I am married and have three children, and they look look on me as a lord here. A captain in time of war. My face is tattooed and my ears are pierced. What would the Spaniards say about me if they saw me like this? Go and God's blessing be with you, for you have seen how handsome these children of mine are. Please give me some of those beads you have brought to give to them, and I will tell them that my brothers have sent them from my own country. And then Diaz goes on to describe how Gonzalo's Mayan wife, Zazilha, I hope I pronounced that right, interrupted the conversation, angrily addressed Aguilar in her own language. And the Indian wife of Gonzalo spoke to Aguilar in her own tongue very angrily and said to him, What is this slave coming here for talking to my husband? Go off with you and don't trouble us anymore with your words. So in the 500 years that have elapsed since then, he has become a cultural and literary kind of historical icon in Mexico. He is considered, you know, the father of the Mestizo people, people who have mixed indigenous and Spanish descent, 
which account for quite a lot of the population in Mexico and represents, you know, symbolically this place that a lot of people in culture have between indigenous heritage and Spanish heritage and who chose to stay there. So depending on who you want to believe in terms of the historical details, it's important to say that this sort of exchange wasn't just like we go, we take people from the shore, we ship them back to England, back to Spain, back to France, that there was people who did engage with the culture of tattooing in other places. Yeah, I mean, like, Anna has an interesting, so uh, yeah, Anna Friedman's PhD's thesis has an interesting section about Gonzalo Guerrero, and um, she kind of theorizes that, for example, right, like, the, the Spanish also would have encountered tattooed people in North Africa. Um, obviously, Spain was conquered by the Moors, and so the tattoos on, on Moorish people were also kind of known to the Spanish. And so there was a kind of particular idea of like heathenness or non-Spanishness encoded in, in the tattooing, which is not the same for an English language audience. Bring back the Caliphate of Cordoba. Yeah, yeah. So the Spanish, um, you know, the, the Spanish were sort of quite... They were quite kind of inured to tattooing quite quickly. There was a an island, a set of islands in the, the, the probably the Caroline Islands that were called Los Pintados, the island of the sort of tattooed people. But tattooing was sort of pretty commonplace. But it was commonplace in a kind of you know as a particular way of, indi- of indicating non non Spanishness. And so yeah, the the theory with Guerrero is that obviously s- s- some people say oh he had to get tattooed to survive, but his his shipmate didn't get tattooed. And so, you know, of clearly getting tattooed wasn't a kind of prerequisite to, to live amongst the Maya and, and become part of Maya society as a as a as a Spanish exile. But there's this particular kind of argument that I think is pretty plausible actually, that you just wanna, you know, he just wanted to kind of break from his previous life as much as possible. And because of that particular kind of Spanish attitude towards tattooing that they'd encountered uh, previously, there, you know, that therefore, um, it you know it played a particular kind of interesting role for him. Yeah, and 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 I think again, as the um, as the kind of centuries go on, in a way, right? Like as we roll through into the the eighteenth and nineteenth centuries, the idea of this that that tattooing is separating you from European culture, um, becomes even more kind of important in the way that which in which these transcultural rights are written about. Even within that region, there's quite a lot of cultural exchange between the indigenous people of what we would now consider the United States and people in, you know, what would now be Mexico. What is the history with Native American tattooing? Well, so again, I'd, I'd love to kind of, uh, sort of tee up a feature episode because hopefully um, my friend uh, Aaron Dieterwolf, who's an archaeologist who works in Tennessee, um, we'll be able to come in and talk about this. He edited a really great book uh, called Drawing with Great Needles, which talks specifically about the history of Native American tattooing. But basically, we've got kind of evidence, archaeologically speaking, that tattooing in North America goes back over 5,000 years. Um, Aaron's just pushed that back over, a, you know, back to five, about 5,000 years ago by more than 1,000 years based on his new research on needles. And of course, like because those there's so much diversity of of, of people and, and 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 tribes and and nations, it would be hard to kind of do justice in a quick summary. But basically, just as elsewhere in the in the world, you know, just as as had happened in Greece and in the Middle East, like tattooing was a way for certain groups to distinguish themselves from others. So, for example, there's a 
a theory that the Arapaho people um, call them well were called that by their uh, by their enemies because it and it means something like the, the tattooed people, those people that use tattoos or something like that. And there's a huge variety of you know of, of tattoo practices across across the Americas, both in terms of gender, in terms of social meaning, in terms of social hierarchy. And I'd love to. I mean, it's very very difficult. Partly because of the archaeology, partly because of the fact that so many of these uh, tribes and traditions were extinguished actively, you know, genocide, wiping out these practices as pagan during the colonial period. So, so much of this information is is lost or, or, or occluded. But we do certainly know that tattooing was, you know, basically practiced up and down the continent. You know, there's there's tattooing as you pointed out in in the, the south of the continent. There's tattooing in. Suriname, there's tattooing all up and then right up into the Arctic. And there are particular tattoo traditions in um in the in the Inuit populations uh, up in up in the Arctic. So it's a hugely important part of uh Inuit and Native American uh culture. And it's so again, it's kind of interesting in the in the histori- historiographic record because like almost the fact that Native Americans are tattooed is sort of known. It's old hat. So Although the first few native people who are described and then who are brought or who then come to Europe on diplomatic missions and stuff through the 16th and 17th centuries, their facial tattoos are described or they're um, exaggerated, you know, eventually the, the, the accounts sort of stop mentioning the tattooing because it's not that interesting anymore. Um, but there are, you know, there's some interesting, again, like without going into, into too much detail, and we can probably talk to, with Aaron about them in more detail, but... You know, there were there were groups of they get called the Three Kings, um, a group of uh, Native American uh, chiefs who come to England to sort of seek defense from the French during the um, the, the, the conflicts uh, over the United St- territory in the United States. And so, yeah, like lots of lots of Native American tattooing is visible in Europe right the way up to the month that Captain Cook like leaves, basically. Everyone knows that tattoo aftercare is one of the most important steps in getting a new tattoo. We all want our fresh new tattoos to heal as easily and hassle-free as possible so we can show them off to the world. That's why Saniderm's here to help. Driven by science and innovation, Saniderm products have been thoroughly tested and used by doctors and tattoo artists alike for over 10 years. Saniderm brings cutting-edge technology to make your tattoo healing process a breeze. No more messing around with cleaning and plastic every few hours with Saniderm's amazing range of aftercare products. I personally have used Saniderm to heal my tattoos in the past, and they made what used to be a daily process of setting reminders on my phone to clean and rewrap my tattoo into a one-step process. Their medical-grade products include aftercare balms, soaps, and my favourite, their second skin aftercare bandages. Saniderm's tattoo bandages are designed to be waterproof, breathable, and keep your new tattoo protected from whatever the elements can throw at it so you can get on with your day worry-free and confident your new tattoo will look vibrant and will heal faster. Plus, their products are all natural and ethically sourced, so you can take comfort in knowing that you're healing your tattoos with nature's finest ingredients. So next time you're in an artist's chair, why not try Saniderm, healing your tattoos the modern way so you can get on with your day. Check out the link in the description of this episode for discounts on a range of Saniderm products or for more information. Hey, are you enjoying the show? If you really like Beneath the Skin and you want to help support us, you can do so on Patreon. For little as five quid a month, you can help make this show possible. 
help us buy research materials. So if you like the show and you want to support us, consider kicking us a few quid a month and you'll get everything from bonus episodes to Q&As and you can even vote on what tattoo I'll get when we reach a certain subscriber count. Matt, have you got anything to say? You should really definitely uh, fund the Patreon because tattoo history is massive, right? Deep, wide, complicated. We're covering some big hit topics on the main feed, but on the Patreon subscriber-only feed, we'll be getting into some really more interesting niche deep topics you don't want to miss out on and honestly the chance to kind of decide what thomas gets on his body is probably just a once in a lifetime opportunity subscribe chuck us a few quid don't miss out on the chance to ruin thomas's body forever i mean my favorite example i don't know if we can jump forward but my favorite example of that uh is this amazing woman called mikak and mikak was from Labrador uh, on the you know, Baffin Island on the kind of east coast of, of modern day Canada. And she was um, an Inuit woman. She was um, captured during a, a sort of massacre, basically, of um, uh, the group she was with. And she became a bit of a sort of bargaining chip or a kind of, um, I don't know how best to describe it. She, be- she became this kind of Porn, I think, in in lots of the politics that's happening uh, between the British and the French in that period. So a political football, you could say. Yeah, because she, so she, she, she sort of learns English and she becomes a translator. She um, learns about Christianity, and as many Inuit did, she kind of syncretized Christian beliefs into her own. She was brought, to, and she was brought to England, and this is the kind of important thing. She was brought to England, basically leaving England like the month almost the exact month that Cook's voyage is left for the Pacific. So she was like on her way to, uh, to London when Cook had, was, uh, uh, had set sail. And she arrived in London basically the month after Cook had left. And she had tattoos on her face, like Arctic um, women in the Arctic uh, systematically have tattooing on their faces, um, as well as elsewhere, but particularly on their faces um, as part of a... Um, particular kind of spiritual relationship with um, the spirit world. And she was kind of fated in high society. She was introduced to the queen, um, taken to the theatre. Um, again, almost as this kind of, uh, the, the politics of it are complicated, but she's this kind of like noble savage figure, but but more noble than savage. Like she's this sort of proof that the Inuit can be civilised. Be diplomatic, some would say. Yeah, and as part of that, as part of that process, as part of that kind of process of like proving um, that, that, that the Christianizing missions in the Arctic are worth carrying out and that, you know, she's a success story. She gets painted as part of a, you know, royal commission, basically. She's painted uh, 1768 and she sits with this guy called John Russell, who's like a real miserable society portraitist, basically. I say he's miserable because I went and read his diaries and he's a real, real grumpy bloke. Um, but he painted her, he painted her portrait, and he he's sad that he can't. She, he wants to kind of preach Christianity to her, but he says she can't understand a word she's saying. Other Christian missionaries who she'd been you know with for several years at this point basically said she was pretty good at speaking English, and she was very interested in Christianity. So one one of those people is lying. Um, <laughs> that is, like that is a great example of if you can speak another language and someone is annoying you, just pretend you can't speak English. Yeah, exactly. Right. Speaking English is the start of the problem. You know, you do not want to converse with the people of this country. Exactly. Um, but she is 
So, she, but she's tattooing her face, and her portrait is painted, and it's exhibited in the Royal um, Academy summer show, which still goes on today, right? Um, but the first ever one was held in April 1769, um, and her portrait was in that show. So, aside from there being, you know, no tattooed people in Europe before Captain Cook discovered in discovered tattooing in Tahiti, um, basically several weeks before, or a portrait of a tattooed woman was hanging in the most visited art exhibition in the country. Um, and certainly, you know, as by, by 1769, by, by this period, like after 250 years of European colonization of the, uh, of the Americas, tattooing was really starting to die out. Um, there's an account in a book by a guy called Krantz, um, which, both Cook and Banks actually owned, which talks about the fact that tattooing, well, it's not called tattooing, the kind of marking of the skin by Inuit people, uh, or by Inuit. I keep saying Inuit people, that's a mistake, and I shouldn't say that. Inuit. By Inuit. Bad. Um, it is bad. No, it is bad. It is honestly bad. Like, it's a it's a horrible tick uh, taken from decades of colonial literature, but like, yeah, Inuit. Inuit means, Inuit means the people so you shouldn't say the Inuit or Inuit people. You should just say Inuit because it means people, right? So that clarifies both myself and others. Also, actually, I, if we can, if we can take an aside for a second, I just want to explain to anyone who's listening why you shouldn't say Eskimo because Eskimo is a slur. Yeah, well, Eskimo. Also, you know, at this point, Mikak's called Esquimo, spelled in a French way: E S Q U I M A U X. Eskimo. Yeah, don't say Eskimo. Um, Oh, sorry. Um, Eskimo is, if I am correct, it's some sort of reference to cannibalism that was, you know, used to label people in the Arctic and, you know, kind of developed from that and adopted into a common language to use to, you know, against the native people of the Arctic. Yeah. I mean, this is also right back, back in those first moments of encounter in the 16th century, 15, 16th century, it's, it really is the case that the Europeans are writing about all oh, these these people are cannibals. These people because yeah, they they also eat food that isn't particularly tasty to Europeans, like seal and whale. And the Europeans are like, oh, these are these people are monstrous. You know, how can they eat this stuff? But they are, you know, they are as I said, described as kind of like the Tartars, like these people in the uh, in the in the in the in the you know Central Asia. But by yeah, so, but by this point that that Mikak is is on display. Um, tattooing is already being kind of you know, erased actively. And what changes, and this is, I think, what happens after the Cook voyages, is that in that previous age of European colonization, it was important rhetorically, politically, scientifically, in, in quotation marks, to think about the people in the New World as, as the same as us, quote-unquote us, us in Europe. Whereas... By the time we get to that more brutal phase of exploration and conquest in the age of empires, in the age of sail, um, tattooing becomes an important way of demarcating Europeans from others. Tattooing becomes a way of separating, quote unquote, us from others. And like, that's what changed. And I think that was a real, as I was trying to think about Mikak and think about this, how is it that by, you know, within about 60, 70 years, of the Cook voyages, you start seeing um, an anachronical some of these, and I've found some more. 
you start seeing people saying tattooing was discovered in the Arctic. Tattooing was discovered in the Pacific. Why did this long history of tattooed people from the Arctic get forgotten? And I, and I think I realised as I was thinking more about Mikuk and that it's of course it's not forgetting. It's not forgetting. It's an active process of erasure. You know, there's a, an exa- another example a, a few years later. Another. Um, Native, uh, native, uh, uh, indigenous Canadian, you know, an Inuit woman was brought to Britain called Kalbvik. She met with Joseph Banks even, and portraits of her were painted too. But on her portrait, there's no tattoo marks. And in recent, uh, in, in a recent kind of restoration of the painting, the, 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 the picture restorers discovered that the tattoo marks, which were obviously on her face in life, had been painted out by the painter. Basically, they were never intended to be seen. And essentially, what I think that shows is that the continued presence of tattooing on women like Mikok sort of was almost an embarrassment, right, to the Europeans, to the British in particular, because it sort of proved that this quote unquote civilizing mission to Christianize these people was not really working or not working completely. You know, the, the, the missions had been pretty successful in bringing Christianity to Inuit. But um, basically what happened was the Christian beliefs had been syncretized into Inuit belief, and they basically believed both things simultaneously and carried on with many of the practices that the, um, the, 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 the missionaries thought were pagan. You know, increasingly um, rarely, but they still persisted, you know. And, and tattooing is part of that. And I think given that, again, these portraits... Uh, in this particular moment in time, were intended to demonstrate the kind of civilizing of the new world, um, and the, and the kind of utility of civilizing, I suppose, the Pacific conquests that were to come. Yeah, it basically becomes you know it becomes embarrassing to show these people with their tattoos on display in their portraiture, and 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 that is for me the most most specific illustration of the problem. Right, that this isn't actually just everyone forgot that tattooing happened. It was this active political move to change the story about tattooed people and tattooing in general, you know? Um, I mean, on that as well, and I'll just finish that thought because it's, it's also interesting. I don't know if I mentioned it on the, on the podcast before, but the, we, the word tattoo comes from Captain Cook, right? Captain Cook's voyages, that's undeniable. Um, it's the Tahitian word for marking of the skin, uh, tatau. And the word tattoo in English existed beforehand. It meant a drumbeat, um, onomatopoeically, and because tattooing in Tahiti is done in the same way, by tapping, potentially it's also an onomatopoeic route, tau to tau to tau, that gets then kind of you know brought into English. And very quickly, that word becomes the word for describing skin marking technology everywhere. Before then, you know, there are various words in, in Inuit languages to talk about uh, tattooing or marking of the skin with ink. Um, Inuit tattooing is done by... It's often called sewing. It's more kind of basting, pulling inked sinew through the skin to create this kind of dot dash pattern. And one of the words for that um, that briefly caught on in English was was kakining. So in one of the one of the Arctic languages, uh, that practice is called kakinik or something similar to that. Um, and so it, it, the English writers in the early early nineteenth century called it kakining. Um, and I think you know, were this kind of history slightly different, we could be talking. We could have a podcast here about kakining and not about not about tattooing. So, to be honest, it's a much, it's a much cooler word. 
It is, isn't it? It is, isn't it? But I think also it's sort of that point that I make a lot, right? Tattooing is a medium, not a phenomenon. There's really not much that connects Tatao in the uh, Pacific, uh, in Tahiti, and Kakinik in uh, the eastern seaboard of uh, the north of the American continent. But we have the same word for them now because of colonialism, because of the, again, that need to try and use tattooing as a way of kind of othering. Um, cultures from around the world and you know i just think i just think if anyone you know ever tells you or, or ever says you know captain cook discovered tattooing in the pacific like mikak is the best example but also again i'm going to urge listeners to like google image search like they're called the mohawk kings or the three kings um for example uh or the the, the choctaw princes are another group um like all these basically people who were um uh coming to England in the early 18th century. Um, very heavily tattooed, pictured, published in broadsides, you know, known about certainly by intelligent, um, lit- literate people. And, you know, in, you know, for, for, for several hundred years before Cook even left. And then of course, Cook himself and Joseph Banks also knew about these people. <laughs> I mean, also interestingly, just as, again, to finally finish this thought, like, Bougainville, the French explorer, who's like French kind of equivalent to Captain Cook, because of the French interest in the Arctic, like he did actually say when he was writing about tattooing in the Pacific, this reminds me of that stuff they do in Canada. Um, and so peop- those, those, uh, those explorers, those sailors, those captains, those anthropologists were making those connections at the time. Um, but very, very quickly, as the colonial project ramped up, it became kind of inconvenient to acknowledge it, you know. We need to address the the shadow in the hall that is, you know, Captain James Cook. We, we've mentioned him quite a few times uh, so far. It is kind of impossible to talk about the history of tattooing without talking about Captain Cook. One, because of the Captain Cook myth, but also the importance of Pacific tattooing in the overall development of tattooing in, you know, particularly in Europe and in the West and around the world. Captain Cook was, you know, he was sailor, explorer. He actually was a shop worker and stared out at the sea for a period of time before he joined the Navy and got commissioned to take these exploratory missions around the world to his first navigation towards uh, the Pacific was he wanted to track the, is it right, the transit of Venus? Transit of Venus. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, which was going to help for complicated reasons. It's not worth going into on this podcast. Uh, would help them figure out how big the Earth was, or not even that the longitude, basically how how far up or down the Earth you were. It was quite easy because of the no um, the other way around. Sorry, you could because fi- of the sun, you could find out how e- how far up or down the Earth you were. You could figure out your latitude, but your longitude, how far round the Earth you were, was a very difficult problem. Um, for all kinds of reasons, and yeah, the the the, the transit of Venus and recording that um, as Venus passed across the sun, um, which you could do from Tahiti, was going to be very helpful um, in that scientific endeavour. It's a really interesting part of the of the story. I mean, it was also also a cover story for basically like I was literally about to say the, that being the French to the Pacific. Yeah, arrived in the Pacific, and first you know landfall that they made was discovering or well encountering the indigenous people in Australia, then called Terra Australis. You know, they believed that was, you know, drowned in gold and there was all these riches there to be had and discovered Botany Bay. And like you said, Banks is 
Banks is the person who really is the one who should be remembered for a lot of this history. Um, Cook didn't really contribute that much to the recording of the history. No. So he, so the word, as I said, the word tatau primarily comes through his diaries. But yeah, Banks actually got tattooed. Um, yeah, Sidney Parkinson, who was the the Joss on the voyage, he also yeah he got tattooed and he also drew images. A lot of those images you may have seen of like Maury or of Samoan tattooing or of tattooing across the Pacific uh, from that voyage are by uh, are by Sidney Parkinson. So it's it is that voyage for an English speaking audience at least that that kind of records that. I mean, as I said, the, the Spanish had documented tattooing in the in the western pacific you know these these los pintados islands were kind of in the in the western pacific as early as 1526 samuel wallace who was the officer of this ship the dolphin like he got to tahiti two years before cook did and he said in tahiti um uh the men and women was a universal custom to have the hinder part of their thighs and line loins marked very thick with black lines in various forms these marks were made by striking the teeth of an instrument somewhat like a comb just through the skin and rubbing it into the punctures, a kind of paste made of certain oil, which leaves an indelible stain. And again, I want um, in future uh, episodes to get on um, uh, potentially my colleague Sebastian Gallio or Sean Mallon, and both of whom have written very extensively and authentically about tattooing in the Pacific to talk more about the specific local context of those tattoo practices. Um, Sean and uh, and Sebastian wrote a really good book called um, I think it's called Tatau um, about tattooing in Samoa a couple of years ago. But yeah, like it is undoubtable that particularly because those Cook voyages were so important in the kind of propaganda of British colonial exploration, because it's also that period when publishing is much easier, and so the accounts of these voyages are getting published because these images are circulated quite commonly. This story of, of 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 tattooing as linked to the Cook voyages becomes a real part of the story. Um, the other thing that happens, of course, uh, is that again, tattooed people are brought back to Europe. So Banks brings back a guy called Omai, or Mai actually is his name, but he gets called Omai in uh, in English. He was from um, Reatea in the Society Islands. Again, kind of presented as this kind of noble savage again, in, in, in inverted commas there, with tattoos on his hands. And it's actually from an account of his hand tattoos that the spelling of tattoo in English, meaning a drumbeat, transposes onto tatau, the Tahitian word for the practice, um, in the diary of an acquaintance of Cook, uh, Cook and Banks' called Francis Burney, who's a novelist. So, yeah, like Cook sort of in, imposes a, 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 you know this kind of linguistic horizon before which there is sort of no tattooing, I suppose. but. And in fact, one one very eminent historian of the Pacific, he for a long time wrote that Cook discovered tattooing in the Pacific. And then when uh, Anna in particular pointed out to him that that was just not true, um, his later publications say things like, although tattooing was not, was not discovered in the Pacific, it feels as if it was. <laughs> History loves feelings. I mean, it, does, it feels as if it does because he spent decades saying that it did, amongst other things. So... Matt is constantly starting beef with other academics on this show, and I I just leave it all in for you to enjoy. Yeah, well, you know what they say, you know, the reason academic debate is so hostile is because the stakes are so low, right? That's the kind of old cliche. <laughs> so, so from that story, right, the other thing that's told is that that's why European sailors get tattooed, because they go to the Pacific, it's the Napoleonic Wars, there's lots of 
people enlisting in the Navy and being press ganging to the Navy and the Merchant Navy too and the East India Company and all of this stuff. And they're inspired by what they see in the Pacific to get tattooed. And of course, that is just bullshit, basically. It's not true. <laughs> the impact of Pacific tattooing on European tattooing in the 19th century is zero. Pretty much zero. <laughs> there are a few transculturates. There are definitely a few people who like uh, Guerrero in uh, in Latin America, you know, uh, a couple of centuries earlier, three centuries earlier, uh, two centuries earlier, um, were, were were sort of quote unquote went native and got tattooed in the in the local style. Um, Cabri, a Frenchman, very famously, a guy called John Rutherford, who got tattooed, got called the kind of white Maori. But your average sailor is getting the same kind of tattoos that average sailors had been getting way before the Cook Voyages ever left port. Because the other thing to point out, and maybe this- the, the only thing they're bringing back is venereal disease. Yeah, the only thing they're bringing- Well, no, they're taking the venereal disease with them. They're not bringing back the venereal okay, disease. Yeah, sorry, no, the <laughs> only thing that, the, that they're, they're giving, uh, contributing to culture is venereal disease. They're sailors, exactly. look, what do you got to do? You're, at, you're exactly. at sea for, like, years at a time. Yeah, well, this is also one of the sort of quite- I don't know, kind of quite nasty theories about some of these transculturites. Like, for example, the um, many of the mutineers on the Bounty, HMS Bounty, were tattooed when they went to Tahiti. And some of the theories, you know, have sort of been, it's been assumed that, oh, well, these guys wanted to sleep with the, the local women, and so they had to be tattooed to do so. You know, I think that's pretty, that's a pretty kind of particular and probably particularly kind of gross speculation. But yeah, I mean, the other, the other part of this story, of course, and it's probably worth doing in more detail in another episode is that before we had the word tattoo, there's lots of tattooing happening even in the months and years leading up to those cook voyages on, on sailors. So we have examples in dock worker description books, for example, of marks on hands. We have pilgrimage tattoos and we also have in um, descriptions of like indentured servants run away, you know, the people that, very problematically and wrongly get called white slaves, the kind of English and Irish people that were um, basically kind of forced into indentured servitude in the Americas before the um, Atlantic slave trade reached its full height. In descriptions of those people, when they run away, um, it's often describes um, tattoos or, you know, pricks, marks pricked on their arms. The Irish were never slaves. The Irish exactly. were never the, slaves. The Irish were never slaves. I will say this on every episode until I make sure that no one who listens to this will ever post anything about the Irish being slaves. We were not slaves. No, there were some Irish people who were indentured servants, but that is very much not the same thing. Um, but many of those, many of those guys, uh, from the descriptions we have at least, have basically the same kind of things that those sailors after the Cook voyages were getting tattooed. So counter to Captain Cook invented tattooing, Captain Cook had zero influence on tattoo history. Full stop. There, there is some evidence of, in subsequent trips or on that trip, of, you know, the exchanging of cultures. There's one story you told me uh, before about one sailor getting a, ta- a local woman to tattoo him and he tattooed her. Yeah. So this is like a hundred years later, but I think it's, I think it's a really interesting and important story because, again, it sort of really hammers home this complexity. So it's not really a sailor. It's a guy called Baron Antonale von Hugel, who was a... Name alert. Name alert. He was, yeah, he's a baron, right? So he's a nobleman. He's an ethnographer. He's one of these kind of gentleman uh, uh, anthropologists 
of that colonial period. He was the first like founding uh, or the founder of um, the Museum of Anthropology at Cambridge, like the kind of Cambridge equivalent of of Pitt Rivers. And he was particularly interested in Fiji. He was in Fiji. He was a young guy in his twenties, and by that point, the the missionaries and the Christian colonizers in Fiji were doing their best to wipe out tattooing there because um, it was seen as a particularly pagan practice. So tattooing in Fiji is a pretty much exclusively female practice. Um, in other parts of the Pacific, it's it's uh, it's exclusively male. Um, but in in Fiji, it's a, a practice that happens on women. Um, it happens on young women as part of a kind of um, maturity rite or a maturity ritual. And he was, even though tattooing was already illegal, while he was there, or probably partly because it was illegal, because it was dying out, he was taking it upon himself to try and record this practice. He couldn't really see very much of it because it was quite taboo for men to see it. So he 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 worked very closely with with local women who were the tattooers to like draw and describe what they were doing. And as part of that, in September 1876, um, he got one of the local tattooing women to tattoo him, to mark him with a tattoo. And then all of the kind of local women in the village that he was staying in, who you know he'd come to kind of befriend and know very well because he'd been there for quite some time, and um, would just found this hilarious. They were like, "What? This fucking weird old white guy has got a tattoo? Like, show us it, show us it," kind of thing. And then as part of that kind of japes. One of them says, oh, well, look, can you tattoo me? So he tattoos her na- his name on her, and then she, in return, tattoos her name on him. And sometimes when this is written, it's not a very well-told story, or a very frequently told story, but when it is told, it's, it's often thought about as like this kind of, he's gone so kind of native, or he's really engaging in this native practice that he is giving a, a, a tattoo. But of course, like when you think about the fact that Europeans have been tattooing their names on their girlfriends and on their wives, and vice versa for a long time. Um, this becomes him sharing, I think, a European tattoo practice with his hosts in Fiji. Um, there's also lots of really interesting stories of like local people in Fiji, men in particular, who wouldn't normally be tattooed in the local manner, and also elsewhere in the Pacific, actually, who have got basically European style tattoos tattooed with kind of Western designs, basically. And like we can't think about that. As a kind of oh well, sa- sailors have picked up this local practice of tattooing and they've adapted it to their v- visual language. It's actually just those sailors sharing their tattoo tradition, their vernacular culture with the local people. And I think that gives that c- when you think about tattooing and cultural exchange in that context, like the whole adds so much more complexity to what's going on there. You know, when we start thinking about cultural appropriation or about you know all that kind of stuff. The story of story of tattooing becomes a really complicating part of that story. You know, even to today, you'll find people even saying that tattooing in general is culturally appropriated. Now, cultural styles, tattoo styles, tattoo vernaculars, tattoo rituals are definitely appropriated. And again, that I'm sure that will be a topic we'll come back to over future episodes. And there are people in good faith, I think, who say tattooing per se is appropriated from non-Western cultures. But like that just isn't true. Europeans have their own tattoo vernaculars. And and I think this story of 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 von Hugel and and the woman who who tattooed him and who he tattooed, a woman called Adi Leba Leba, it complicates that story. I mean the final the final the final example of this I think is super interesting um in Tahiti. Uh, 1847, this missionary basically, John Williams, 
um, goes to a local village and there's a, a woman who's accused of murdering her husband. And the, as it's recounted, at least by the colonial accounts, like she's sentenced by the local people to, to be put to death. And the missionaries basically say, look, that's not an appropriate punishment. How about we come up with something different? And what he suggests, William suggests, is that she be tattooed on her face. So she gets tattooed with the word murderer across her top lip, upside down, which is indicative that clearly she was held down by whoever did it and, and, and was clearly struggling. You know, imagine her head was probably clamped between the tattooer's knees. Really, really horrific story. But then you go, wait a minute, didn't the Christians hate tattooing? Didn't they think tattooing per se was a pagan practice? Why are they suggesting tattooing as a punishment? And of course, like they're not against tattooing as a practice. They're against pagan tattooing. They're against tattooing for ancestor worship. They're against tattooing for purposes which don't accord with Christian beliefs. But they're not against stigmatizing punishment tattooing because that was still happening in Britain. You could still get tattooed for deserting the British army. Right, right up until the 1870s. And so when, when, when non-tattoo historians write about those stories, they sort of can't make sense of it often. But I think like when you understand that Europeans have their own tattoo tradition and it comes from sailors, it comes from religious devotion, it comes from pilgrims, it comes from also you know a, a history of punishment and stigmatizing tattooing, you can see that what's happening in that moment in the Pacific uh, is more complicated than usually accounted for. I think you know it's the it's the it's the religious belief, it's the familial belief, it's the non-Christian belief that's the problem. It's not the marking of the skin with ink, you know. So I want to thank you very much for listening to this episode of Beneath the Skin. If you'd like to hear more episodes, we have a few in the back catalogue and a lot more coming up. Uh, you can find us on all streaming platforms. You can find me online at got it at Guineas. That's G-U-Y-N-E-Y-S. It's all the same on pretty much every platform. Matt, where can people find you? Uh, at Matt Lodder uh, on Twitter, Instagram, um, Carrier Pigeon, Smoke Signal. Uh, Everything. Yeah. Just shout. <laughs> uh, we'd also like to thank Sanoderm for sponsoring the show. And Matt, most importantly, oh, also, uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at Beneath Skin Pod. But Matt, you have a book. Plug the book. We lasted over an hour, and Matt did not plug the book. I do. Again, some of these stories are in are in the book. Um, uh, also, with extensive references to where you can read more about everything that we've talked about. It's called Painted People: A History uh, in Twenty One Tattoos. It's out on William Collins. Uh, hopefully at the end of October 2023. Um, and also please keep listening for future episodes because as I said, I have a particular kind of perspective here on how these contacts were written about, but the specific stories of these traditions deserve to be told and they will be on future episodes. Um, and I'm really looking forward to that. Perfect. And if you enjoyed the show, uh, please consider supporting us on Patreon. You heard the ad in the middle. You can get a lot of bonus content to help support the show. And if you can't afford it, that's totally okay. Share the show with a friend or leave us a review on streaming. It helps more than you know. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. Bye.